I call your attention to uh, tonight to Psalms 23, and uh, I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. You may not have to turn there. You can probably just quote it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to speak tonight on this subject, freedom from want. Freedom from want. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. David, as we have talked about throughout this year, is the common denominator as we've addressed these different uh, freedoms that God wants to set his people free from. Uh, we've used David's life and what a tremendous study uh, David is in the word of God. But David got to this place where his appetite for want was diminished. And it was diminished with the trials of life, but then after he was blessed with the throne and with power and wealth and favor, uh, the appetite returned. And I don't know that that appetite will ever go away as long as you're wearing flesh, you're going to have to deal with flesh. But I do think that there's a place where you can get in the Lord, where you don't have to just be controlled by all the impulses of what your flesh wants. It's probably going to always want but there is a way to live with dominion over want rather than a slave to want. And this battle, I'm sure, is something that is not available for it to be conquered on our own. But I do believe that when you live in the sunlight of God's goodness, there always has to be a balance. We recognize that our blessings come from the Lord. But the flesh is such that when it is receiving, it doesn't say, okay, that's enough. It wants more and more and more. And if we're not careful, we can just be like that little hamster on a wheel that's always just running, 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 never really getting anywhere, just trying to fulfill the wants of our flesh. We understand from Scripture that there are three areas of temptation. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, we see where they were tempted in these three areas. You go forward throughout Scripture. You can even go into the temptations of Jesus. And you'll see that these three main categories, and I'm sure there are a lot of subcategories that are more specific, but these three main categories, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, you can almost put every temptation under those three categories. What exactly is the lust of the eye? The lust of the eye is materialism. I see it, I want it. It's materialism. But every one of these temptations have an antidote. They have a cure. And the cure for materialism is simply generosity. When you are generous, 
it stops from this temptation becoming a master in your life. It's hard for the lust of the eye to take you hostage when you're exercising a generous spirit. There was a message that was preached during the WINS conference. And if you did not hear it, you owe it to yourself to go on YouTube or go on our church website and listen to it. But it's a message that was preached on Friday morning by Bishop Billy Hale about the making of a man of God. And I've uh, listened to it live, of course, when he preached it. But it was so impactful. I've listened to it a couple more times on the podcast archives on our website. And it has stirred me over and over again. Because in this message, uh, Brother Hale makes a lot of profound statements. But the one that I'm sure I will not ever forget is the story he tells of his grandson, Colton, um, coming up to him. I think the youngest, I think Colton is probably the youngest of all eight of his grandchildren. But he tells the story of when Colton was, was young, even younger, and he was maybe seven, eight years old. He would always come up to his granddad, Brother Hale, and he'd say, Granddad, do you have some money that you can give me? And he said he always would go to me. I don't know why he wouldn't go to his dad, but he'd always come to me. Well, I have a sneaky suspicion I know why. Because there's something about the old school, they always carried a wad of cash on them. You ever notice old timers, they always can reach in their pocket and they got like a, the real old timers put a rubber band around it. But they just, they just got a wad of cash in time, you know, in case things get real rough, I guess. But, you know, the, the younger generation, you know, they don't really carry cash. You know, they got their cell phone and pretty much do everything with that. But I have a feeling that Colton's dad had a cell phone, but his granddad had a wad of cash in his pocket. And Colton knew this as a boy. So he would go to uh, his granddad. And his granddad said, Colton, why are you coming to me and asking for money? And he said, Grandpa, because you're rich. And he said, I told him, I don't know what your daddy's been telling you, but I'm not rich. I'm just a giver. And when he said that, I thought, I'm going to use that. From now on, I'm not rich. I'm just a giver. Because there's something rich about being a giver. There's something joyful about being a giver. There's always going to be something else out there. But if you are a giver, God, hallelujah, is going to do more than just meet your needs. He's going to bless you above and beyond. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When you get a spirit of generosity and you say, Lord, hallelujah, I'm not rich, uh, but I want to give. I want to bless the kingdom of God. I want to have a spirit of generosity. It becomes an antidote for the lust of the eye. There is something powerful about it. You can say, hey, I'm not going to be controlled by always wanting this and wanting that and frustrated that I can't have this and I can't have that. I'm going to back up and say, what can I do for the kingdom of God? What can I do for the house of God? And really, that's the crux of Brother 
Hale's message uh, during the Winds Conference, The Making of a Man of God, is that David was concerned about the things of God. And he said, Lord, I, I want to build your house. And he said, no, you're not. Your son will. And he said, you know, you've got hands of war and blood is on your hands, but your son will. But then he said, I'm going to build you a house because you want to build me a house. This is the way God works. When you are concerned about the things of God, he is concerned about the things that pertain to you. And you can't outgive God. So if you want to know how to control the lust of the eye, have a spirit of generosity. And always look for opportunities to give. Always look for opportunities to bless the Lord. Always look for opportunities to say, I want to be able to give. Because not only will it bless the kingdom of God, but it will bless you. You cannot give without the residual effect of the blessings of God upon your own life. So there's something about a spirit of generosity. It is the antidote for the lust of the eye. Now, the lust of the flesh. I think we understand what the lust of the flesh is. But there is an antidote for the lust of the flesh. And it is integrity. Who are we when no one is watching? Because the flesh, just like the eye, is always going to want. It's always going to lust. It's always going to have a, an appetite for more and more. And people that are, are very uh, well-to-do, uh, even in our culture, you ever notice they're not happy people because there's something else they want. They live as a slave to their wants. They, they can have enough money to buy and sell all of us, but they're miserable. They can live in a big 10,000-square-foot house over here on the beach. But their kids are on drugs. They're on their fifth marriage. They're miserable. They drink every night to try to go to sleep. They've got no peace. They're miserable. Why? Because it is not the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh that will bring you happiness. It's just another slave to the wants and the desires of the flesh. But I believe there's a God, hallelujah, that wants to set us free and give us integrity. You say, well, pastor, what's integrity? Integrity is what you are when nobody's watching. How would you live? What choices would you make if you would never get caught? And if nobody would ever know, how would you live your life? If you say, pastor, I wouldn't leave any different than I'm living right now. I'm going to tell you what, you have learned how to be free from the wants of your flesh. Hallelujah. You have lived, you have learned how to live with integrity and integrity is the antidote for the lust of the flesh. You can say, hey, you know what? Paul talks about this in Romans. Uh, I'm going to let my mind be in charge. Uh, I've got an understanding of the laws of God. Uh, so if I'm going to walk after the flesh, uh, then my flesh is going to do the things of the flesh. Uh, but with my mind, I can serve the law of God. Hallelujah. I can decide I'm going to serve God. Uh, I'm going to be content with what God has given me. I'm going to be content with my family. I'm going to be content with my church. Uh, I'm going to be content with my job. I believe that God has blessed me. And so I'm going to live with integrity. And then the pride of life. And the antidote for the pride of life is humility. Humility. Generosity, integrity, and humility. If you can focus on those three things, you will be able to live free from the wants of your flesh. And according to Genesis 39, there are three ways to overcome temptation based on the word of God. The first one is to learn from Eve. 
And here's the lesson that we can learn from Eve in the Garden of Eden. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Not everything that you hear is the truth. In fact, most of what you hear out there is not the truth. The Word of God is true. But just because you read it on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. I was talking to one of my sons the other day and I said, I looked it up on Wikipedia and it said so-and-so. And my son said, oh, well, we know that's true if it's on Wikipedia. He was being sarcastic. But he had heard me say that over and over again, so he called me on my own game. I said, yeah, but it says on the Internet. Yeah, he said, well, that doesn't mean anything. The Internet doesn't, it's not truth. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, it's multiple sources. You know, then I tried to explain myself. But I realized anytime you're quoting any source out there, it is suspect. And it is true. Not everything on the Internet is true. And there is a world that's constantly trying to feed a lie, especially to young people. To get you to think this is what's normal, this is what, and you can do this and that. And, and oh my goodness, all of this stuff that's going on with, with people questioning, they're questioning their gender. My dad and I were talking about it the other day. My dad said, I tell you, if you're questioning your gender... I can tell you how to resolve that. You go home and go to your bedroom and take all your clothes off and look in the mirror. That'll tell you what you are. Man, I tell you what, I love the old school, boy. They don't sugarcoat it. They just tell you the way it is. This stuff about, well, I'm this, but I identify as that. I said, well, I'm going to start using that. I'm fat, but I identify as a thin man. I'm only 5'11 and shrinking every day, but I identify as an NBA player. I'm, I'm poor, but I identify as a rich man. I mean, you can go on and on with this. I mean, there's no way to stop it. You can identify, if you're going to identify as something, you need to say, I identify as an overcomer. I identify as a believer. Hallelujah. I identify as one who has been bought by the blood of Jesus. I identify as one who is a son of God or a daughter of God, who has the word of God in my life. That's what I identify as. So don't believe the lie, because if you believe the lie, you get all kinds of temptation. So that's what we learned from Eve. Eve got in trouble because she believed the lie. Half God said. In other words, what God says is not really true. You need to question it. So don't believe the lie. The second thing that we learn is from Joseph, and that's run. 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 Just run. Don't believe the lie and run. There's some things you don't even need to stay in the vicinity of. You just got to get out of Dodge, you know, the old saying. You got to just leave it alone and run. The Bible says to flee youthful lust. That's what Joseph did. He didn't try to reason with Potiphar's wife. He didn't try to console Potiphar's wife. He didn't try to minister to Potiphar's wife. He didn't try to teach Potiphar's wife a Bible study. 
He just fled. Just get out of that situation. Just leave that party. Just turn that off. Some things you got to just run from. If your flesh is wanting a bunch of stuff that you know it's not conducive to what you know is the truth of the Word of God, you've got to find out what's feeding that appetite. And you got to start starving that appetite. And the way you starve it is you don't believe a lie and you run and you flee from anything. That's going to be a negative influence on your spirituality. So learn from Eve. Don't believe the lie. Learn from Joseph. Run. And then finally, learn from Jesus. How did he resist temptation? Use God's word. That's why we focus on Bible studies. Use the word of God. Because the word of God has already defeated the enemy. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to call fire down from heaven. All you got to do is just use the word of God. And the word of God will give you the victory. Hallelujah. I said, the word of God will give you the victory. Don't believe the lie. Run and use the word of God. If you can do those things, I believe God will give us a freedom from the appetite of our flesh. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now let's talk about this. I shall not want for just a moment. Because in 1941... In the State of the Union address, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the president, he said that there are four basic freedoms that are, were guaranteed from the Constitution. The first one, he said, was freedom from want. Of course, they were coming out of the Depression, and I know he was talking about we, have a, we should have the freedom from wanting our basic needs, like food and water and shelter. So he said freedom from want, freedom of speech, freedom to worship, and freedom from fear. He said, according to the U.S. Constitution, those are four basic freedoms. It became known as the four freedoms. Norman Rockwell did a whole painting series on it and became sort of uh, fundamental to some of the things that we did as a nation uh, to come up out of the Depression. Of course, uh, the war was a big part of that. But when we talk about this freedom from want, I, I think that this is different than what I believe the Word of God is telling us and how we can be free from want. I don't believe freedom from want is having our needs met because in our flesh, there's never a place where you're totally satisfied. So whatever you have, you want more. Whatever you have, you want more. And so I don't know if freedom from want is just simply you know, easily defined as having your basic needs met. I think it goes back to to dealing with your appetite. Because the flesh doesn't work in such a way that it gets to a point and then it's satisfied. It, it's more to do with controlling the appetite than it is with satisfying the hunger, if I can say it that way. It is part of our fabric in our humanities to want. And one of the greatest challenges of our society, especially at this time of the year, is to limit our wants. Do I really need that? Or do I just want that? When Franklin D. Roosevelt gave his famous fireside speech, it was a noble declaration that the freedom to live without want would be a hallmark of our hope as a nation. 
But it's not only the thirst of our humanity. There is something about having a hunger in our soul. You understand that we are made up, all of us, of three things. Body, soul, and spirit. And we we understand the body. This is a natural body. It's, it's in a natural world. And we talked about that even this morning where we're going to deal with the flesh. But we also have a spiritual nature. And we have a soul. It has an eternal nature. And we have a spirit. And that spirit is drawn uh, to uh, the spirit of God and the things of God and the house of God. There's There's a part of us that when we get in his presence, there is a sense of peace and comfort and strength. And joy, because we were created a certain way. And when you get in alignment with the way that you were created, you become fulfilled. You have purpose. And you, you're you complete as a, as a human being. You you feel straight. It doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, ready for retirement. It doesn't mean you're a multimillionaire. It doesn't mean everything's all worked out. You don't have any problems. It doesn't mean your car won't break down. It doesn't mean you won't get a flat tire. It just means uh, that inside of your humanity, body, soul, and spirit, there is this understanding, hallelujah, that God is with me. And I don't know how God's going to make a way, but he's going to make a way. Hallelujah. I'm just going to keep on loving him. I'm going to just keep on serving him. There is a freedom that comes in that. Let's say my problems aren't all worked out, but I'm going to bless the Lord tonight anyhow. Because God is on my side. Hallelujah. God is working on my behalf. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to push back the darkness. I'm going to go ahead and believe that God's going to take care of it. Hallelujah. And when you can live in that realm, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you live as a person that is free. Even though we are trapped by the confines of this flesh and we are trapped on this earth uh, by all these natural laws of gravity, ladies and gentlemen, you can come into the presence of God and your spirit can soar. Why do you think people come that are in prison and they come into the services and they say I want to receive the Holy Ghost you know why because you can't lock up the soul and the spirit of a man you can lock up his body but his soul his spirit it thrives for God oh thank you Jesus and so Psalms 23 makes this statement emphatically I shall not want There are some things that God gives me that causes me to live free from want. doesn't matter what you have. You're always wanting more than you're never happy. But on the other hand, you can live with a peace and a satisfaction in any situation, regardless of the circumstance. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. Why is it that David could say, I shall not want? It is because of the statement that precedes, I shall not want. And that is that the Lord is my shepherd. Which means you have to get a revelation of the sovereignty of God. It is the sovereignty of God. And a revelation of the sovereignty of God. That gives you and I freedom from want. You say, what exactly is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is a trust that God has got everything in his hand. He's not missing in action. His ear is not deaf that he can't hear. He's not gone on some vacation. 
He can handle everything. He can handle everything that I face and everything you face. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is sovereign. I shall not want. I don't know the right decision to make. In fact, you may make bad decisions, but the Lord is my shepherd. I saw a little blurb that came up on my phone. I can't remember if it was last night or this morning. But there was some little blurb that came up on Apple News or whatever. And it said, man from Stanford University for all of his life. He's some professor. He has been studying the free will of man. And he has come to conclusion that there is no free will of man. I said, I don't care what university you came from. I don't care what degree you got, and I don't care how long you've been studying it. If you come to some conclusion that's not from the Word of God, you are wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Now here's why people come to those conclusions. Because they're living as a slave to their flesh. And they don't believe there is any freedom. They don't believe you can live with a free will. They have been a captive for so long. They've developed what they call the Stockholm Syndrome. Where they just believe that they're supposed to live in captivity. They start to sympathize with their captors. It's a psychological aspect. And as humanity has lived as a slave to sin for so long. They now have professors coming to conclusions after researching for years and years and years and years and years. There is no free will of man. You know why? Because you're right. Whenever you serve the laws of man and you serve the laws of the flesh and you don't serve the laws of God or the laws of his word, you're right. You're always going to be a slave to sin. You're never going to have a free will. You're always going to have to live by the impulses of your flesh. But oh, I'm so thankful that whenever Paul met this dilemma in Romans chapter 7 and he said, I can't get free from this. There's a war going on in my members and the good that I do, I would not and the would not that I do and there's some evil force that's present and I don't know how to get free. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Finally, he comes to the question, the $10 million question. But chapter 8, he gets the revelation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. (laughs) He said, I'm going to get some freedom. Hallelujah. I'm going to get some freedom. I'm not going to live as a slave to the desires of the flesh. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is a sovereign God. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he's got everything in his control. That's what David had to get to. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The best way to reduce the appetite for stuff is to learn to trust in God with less stuff. I'm going to put myself in this category because I think it's all of us. We've all got too much junk. Why do you think they keep building more and more storage places? 
They say, well, you know, we live in Florida and we can't have a basement, so our garages become our... I'm going to invite all of you over to my house. My wife has immediately gone into prayer and gnashing of teeth. And I'm going to say, just take whatever you want out of the garage. I don't even know what all's in there. Stuff! Junk! And then you have to go and rent a place to put more junk in. And then once you pay that rental place every month, you could just get rid of all the junk and buy brand new stuff. And you wouldn't even have to pay a monthly fee to keep more junk. We just got stuff and more stuff and stuff and more stuff. And you know, if you really want to be free from want, you ought to start saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I was telling brother, brother Eric LeBlanc this morning, he was changing the batteries on this thing. And I said, I've had to train myself. When I take batteries out, we put in fresh batteries. Throw away the old batteries. I have a bad habit of hanging on the old batteries because I'm like, I'm not sure that they're totally exhausted. We changed them out so they wouldn't go out in the middle of the message. But I think there's still probably about 40% left in there. So then I hang on to them. And then when I go to put in fresh batteries into this thing, I don't know which one's fresh and which one's bad. And I got all kind of batteries. I don't know whether they're good or bad. So I've had to make myself, I've had to train myself. I've had to learn to do this. You take the batteries out, throw them in the trash can. Don't hold on to them. We hold on to so many things. If you're like me, you've got a bunch of pins that have not, they've not worked in years. And every time you're looking for a pin, you grab one, you go like this, and it won't work, and you put it inside, and you get it. And then five days later, you go and you try to do that. And then two months later, then next year, it's not worked for years, throw it away. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You got to simplify your life. You got to get back to the basics. You say, I don't know what to do about my job. The Lord is my shepherd. What are you going to do about your health? The Lord is my shepherd. What are you going to do about your family? The Lord is my shepherd. At some point, you and I have just got to trust the sovereignty of God. He is the shepherd. He is in charge. He controls the wind and the rain. He decides the fall and the rise of nations. He is sovereign. He is supreme. He is mighty. He is marvelous. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about being free from what? I'm talking about being free from always having to try to secure your existence with more stuff. Freedom from want. It comes down to trust. The Bible talks about that. Take no thought for tomorrow. He's able to clothe the lilies in the field. And don't you know he can take care of you? David had to learn this early on. He started out the first psalm with this declaration in verse 6. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What would possess a young man to fight a warrior called Goliath, a man nearly 10 feet tall? Was it reckless abandon or was it trust in a sovereign God? 1 Samuel seventeen thirty three says, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine. 
to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, shall be as one of them. Seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. He's saying, I trust the sovereignty of God. He's saying to King Saul, I am a shepherd. So I understand how a shepherd works. The living God is a shepherd. And he will deliver us out of the mouth of this blasphemy. This blasphemer who's coming against the children of the living God. He is going to protect his sheep. You and I are his sheep. And Saul says, you're just a boy. And he's a man of war from his youth. But this is not about logic. This is about sovereignty. You think the giant is in charge because you have quit trusting in a sovereign God, King Saul. You started trusting in your own flesh. So you're up here in the palace and you're afraid because you've learned to trust your flesh and you stop trusting God. So now you fear this man because you can only fight him as a man. But I'm still under the illusion that God can do anything. Oh, I feel like there's something powerful rising up in this generation that believes God can do anything. We're crazy enough to believe that God can fill this church and other churches and more churches and stadiums. We believe that God, hallelujah, is going to save everybody under the sound of the voice of a man or a woman that will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in the sovereignty of God. I got to hurry. Green pastures and still waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside green pastures to what? What is this? The Lord is my shepherd is the sovereignty of God. Green pastures and still waters is the provision of God. The provision of God. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Psalms 34.10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You see how David had to get to this point? The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. He will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. Doesn't say he'll meet all my wants according to his riches and glory. He said he'll meet all my needs. Matthew 6, 31 says, Therefore take no thought, saith, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? I referred to it earlier. But after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. What things? The things that you need. All these things shall be added unto you. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider you got to not just trust in the sovereignty of God. You've got to trust in the provision of God. God's going to make a way. I don't know how. I don't know when. But God's going to make a way. 
What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about living free from want. I'm talking about living free from the impulses of the flesh. I'm talking about living free from the pride of life and the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. I'm talking about living in a place, hallelujah, where you can get up every day and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because the flesh is always going to want more. My, when my children were, were young, we went out to eat and we just had a big win in a legal case. And, and I had, I told my kids, I thought it would be a great teaching moment. And I told them, I said, you know, my friends in the legal world tell me I should give up preaching and just become a lawyer and I'll be a multimillionaire. And they all looked at me real big eyes. And I said, but I've told him, that's not an option. I was called to be a persuader of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, if you put God first, I said, God will always bless you. I said, look at us. We have a house to live in. We got car. We got food to eat. We got more food to eat than we need to eat. And we get to travel. And I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't want for more. You, you got to live your life where you're. You recognize the blessings of God and not always be wanting more and more and more and chasing, chasing, chasing. I said, you got to live your life so that you understand God is the one who has blessed us and he's met all my needs. I can live a life of freedom from always wanting more and looking for the next dollar. I can live a life of freedom to worship and to bless the Lord. And I'm not, I mean, we're in a restaurant and I'm preaching a sermon to my kids and my boys are like, I know dad. Yes, dad. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad. Yes. God is good to us and all that. And Sophia raised her hand like this. She was real young. I don't know, maybe five or six years old. And everybody was in agreement that God had met our needs and that we should be happy with what we have. And and she raised her hand and she said, I would like to say something, Dad. And I said, what? And she said, it would be nice to have a private jet. I couldn't disagree with her. (laughs) I think about it every time I go through the TSA line. Out of the mouth of babes, Lord. When's that private jet coming? I don't know. Brother Eric LeBlanc can fly one, so... If anyone's got one in their garage they're not using, you may want to <laughs> donate it. <laughs> but do we really need a private jet? It's a miracle that you can even get in a jet and fly anywhere you want all over the world. How crazy is that? 50 years ago, you never imagined people would be flying jets like we're riding Greyhound buses in the air. God has been good to us. Been good to our country. Been good to our church. Been good to America. He's been good to each and every one of us. Oh, we got to get a spirit of thanksgiving. I know this is October, but we ought to get thankful early. Let's go ahead and be thankful now. I don't have to wait for Thanksgiving. I want to go ahead and say, thank you, Lord. You blessed me. You don't have to do anything else for me. You've already done way more than any of us deserve. We just want to say thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your sovereignty. All right, I'm hurrying. Three minutes. David learned this when everything had been taken from him in the city of Ziglag. The Malachites had taken everything, their possessions, their families. I won't read through it all. It's in 1 Samuel 30. But he prayed and he said, Lord, should we pursue? He said, yes, for thou shalt without fail recover all. The devil has robbed your house this year. I've come with some good news. You shall without fail recover all. He's got green pastures for you. You will eat again. He has still waters for you. You're going to drink again. And then finally, he restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. That's the salvation of God. The sovereignty of God. The provision of God. And the salvation of God. It was as an adult that David had to learn about restoration. He was a king. He had wealth. He had family. He had prestige. He was king of the most powerful nation on earth. And he was a man after God's own heart. Who could want any more? But David began to want. He began to look. He began to long for more. The appetite was back. It's hard for just a regular person to understand. Why a person making $110 million a year married to a supermodel? A beautiful family and the leader of the most powerful nation at that time would want more. But the flesh is the flesh. Now you're not sure if I'm talking about David or Donald Trump. But the Bible says the grass withereth and that the flesh is grass. All of this eventually is going to go back to the dust from whence it came. And without restraint, we cannot limit our desires. David fell into this same trap. He had everything and yet it was not enough. So he called Bathsheba to his palace because at some point you'll start to want what doesn't belong to you. One sin led to another and then people started dying. Before long, David's visited by the prophet Nathan. Nathan tells him a story where a rich man who has much as guests, he does not want to feed them from his own abundance. So instead, he takes a little lamb that belongs to a neighbor. The little lamb is the only thing the family had. It's a pet. They kept it in the house. It was their life. But the rich man takes this little lamb and kills it to feed his guests. And David is so enraged when he hears the story from the prophet Nathan. He tells Nathan, reveal to me who this man is in the kingdom and justice will be served. Nathan says, thou art the man. And David starts to weep. And he begins to repent before the Lord. Psalms 51.10 picks up that narrative. That narrative, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. My friend, can I just tell you what I'm feeling from the heart of a pastor tonight? That if we're not careful, we will lose the joy of our salvation because we're so troubled with the cares of life. We have forgot the miracle of salvation. That God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That he has pulled us out of the miry clay and put us on the rock to stay. If we're not careful like David, we will forget that all of these blessings have come from you.
God forgives David and David learns about a God who can restore and renew. A God that wants to, to free you from want. And in the midst of this, there is a part of God's nature that's revealed. Because Second Samuel 12 verses 7 and 8. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man, thou thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Nathan is speaking now on behalf of, of God. He said, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I gave you all of this, David. And if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Because you're not serving a puny God. You're not serving a stingy God. You're serving a God of great abundance. It's not that God cannot open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. It's that God wants you to be free from an appetite of increase. He wants to bless you and me and heal us. Save us and restore us. You can stand to your feet. The sky is the limit to what God can put in your hand. But above all else, he wants to deliver you from the prison of want. To be free. To be satisfied with the blessings of God. And to let your natural appetite diminish. So that your spiritual appetite can increase. He restoreth my soul. I feel like tonight we just got to have a Thanksgiving moment. I feel like more than anything, we just got to have a thankful heart and a generous spirit. And if we can do that tonight, then God will set us free. We've been talking about freedom all year, I know. But this is the area that I believe is the final marking of being totally free. Is to say, God, I want to be free from want. I don't want to spend my whole life looking over the fence. Trying to find out if the grass is green or on the other side. I want to stop and say, thank you, Lord. I want to just stop and worship you. I just want us to take a few moments tonight and just say thanks. Would that be all right? If you want to stay there where you're standing, that's okay. But if you want to come forward, that would be good too. But all over this place, I want us just to take a few moments. And I just want to offer thanks unto him. I want you to thank him for the good and the bad. I thank you, Lord, for things I'm going through right now that I don't understand. But you put me in the midst of it, Lord, to be a character-building moment. And I don't know why I'm facing these trials, but I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for what I see and what I don't see. I thank you for what I understand and what I don't understand. I thank you, Lord, that you've blessed me and you've kept me and you've been good to us, Lord. We don't deserve it. You've been too good to us, Lord. Oh, but we just want to say thanks, Lord. We just come tonight to lift up our voice, to magnify you, and to thank you, Jesus. Come on, don't be shy about it. Be bold. Be bold in your thanksgiving. Don't worry about whether somebody standing next to you is going to hear you. Come on, proclaim it with everything in your heart. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for my health. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my job. 
I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters under the banner of your name. Oh, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you have deposited in us. I thank you for the revelation of the name of Jesus. I thank you for the blood of Calvary that is shed abroad in our hearts. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Give him some generous praise tonight. Oh, don't be stingy with your praise. Let there be a spirit of generosity that comes in your heart. Come on, I'm going to give you some high praise. I'm going to give you some great praise. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Oh, don't you can't shy on me, lift up your soul. 
got some 25 to 30 people that are going three different waves to um, Durban, South Africa, and Madagascar. And I want us to close tonight by praying for this team that's going. Ask God would use them, anoint them. If you are uh, going on these trips, um, I want you to just come and stand down here in the front area. And I want to pray for our team whether it's the group that's leaving tomorrow or next Saturday or the following Tuesday. If you're a part of this, just come on and gather down in here in the front. And I want us just to pray for this team right now in the name of Jesus. And we want to pray and ask God to use them, to protect us, to be with them. We believe that we'll be able to come back with a testimony of thousands of people being saved. But we also know that the enemy will try to attack them. Whenever you're trying to take new territory for the Lord, the enemy will try to come in the back door. And uh, I want us to just pray a covering and a protection. Just come down here. we got a big gap right there. Just fill that in. Don't be afraid. We're just singing about don't be shy. And then everybody gets shy. This is an awesome team. We're excited about this. I know this is only a portion of us, but... I want you to just raise your hand and just stretch them forward right now. And would you just pray a special anointing upon these brothers and sisters in the Lord?
Thank you, Jesus. What a good God we serve. What a great God we serve. Amen. God bless you. What a great audience you've been tonight. Thank you for coming and supporting our young people and being here tonight. Amen. I pray that you have a blessed week. And I know God's hand is upon you and your family. God bless you in Jesus' name.